Good morning. Why oh, you guys are kind of asleep today, huh? Is it a tiring morning? Did I speak English there? I didn't. I don't. It was like I said a word and I was like, I don't know if that's English. I'm really tired, by the way. Uh, we have a newborn and we sleep on and off throughout the night, but I'm pretty tired. So if I slur or I speak Russian at any point, um, you know what's going on. Uh, so. We're here to worship Jesus, so grab your Bibles and flip to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one in front of you. And I have not said this in a while, but you, sh- you can take that home if you don't own a Bible. Or if you need another Bible, you can always take that. Or even it's a Christmas season, you can give a Bible to somebody. Um, so you can take that. I, I buy those black Bibles regularly for that purpose. So, Galatians, uh, flip to Galatians. We're in the middle of a series, and it's a series called He Came, Jesus Came. And it's a study about Jesus and His coming. And, uh, and the reason we chose to talk about this is because we are in the busy season. It's a busy se- season, but it's also a very familiar season, right? It's a season that, however long you have lived, you probably experienced the Christmas season, right? Like, you're like, oh yeah, it's Christmas season or advent season again it's a season that brings many emotions some of those emotions are great and some of these emotions bring pain some love this season like even a household a, ha- a husband can love this season and a wife can hate this season right like that that happens it's a season that brings a lot of noise and because of that it's a season that's easy to forget why this season exists it's easy to forget uh, about this, the, the true reason behind it. It's easy to focus on presence than looking at Jesus. And uh, as a church, that's exactly what I wanted us to do this season. I want us to look at his coming. I wanted to look and see what does that mean for us? What does it mean for, for, to, for me to slow down and remember what, what did that impact? right? And, um, and, and what does it actually mean for me day to day? Like, how do I slow down daily and be reminded of Jesus? And how his coming actually changed everything, but, but how little do I think about that? And so, in the first week when we jumped into this series, we looked at John 1 and saw that Jesus is the Word, God's clearest expression of himself to the world, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God, and this God came and dwelled with us. It's, it's what Daniel was talking about, the, the fact that Jesus is with us. Like, it wasn't that Jesus was with us. No, like, Jesus is with us. And then last week, we looked at how he came. We looked at, at the, the, the concept, this, this mind-blowing idea that Jesus, God, who made these things, he spoke the world into existence, came as a baby. He came as a baby into this, this world. He came humbly. He humbled himself by becoming a human. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he, in his humility, carried him to the cross. And he didn't try to defend himself with words or actions because he came for us. And he humbly became the final sacrifice, dying on our behalf so that we can live. 
That's what we talked about last week. Uh, the the mind-blowing idea, the fact that Jesus came as a baby, the humility in that, and that that humility carried him to the cross. And today we're going to look at another reason why he came. It's another reason that is familiar. It's a reason that we speak of a lot, but, but, but I wanted to slow down just enough today for it to sink in. And the reason is that he came to redeem and adopt us into the family. Like, he came. That was the reason he came. He came to redeem and adopt us into a family. And the language of redemption, um, if you grew up in a Christian circles or if you've been to church, the language of redemption always involves some kind of payment. It's a payment out of something and into something. So Jesus came to get us out of something and into something. He came to get us out of slavery and adopt us into his family. So if you're able, now let's stand, let's read this passage together, and then we'll study this passage uh, and see how Jesus came to adopt us into his family. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, let's read this together. Galatians. I said, wrong notes, there they are. I was like, why am I the only one reading? Uh, and I was like, I like reading by myself, but I want you guys to join me. So let's, is this the right one? I think this is the right one. So let's read Philippians. Did I say Galatians? I meant, see, I'm tired. Galatians it is. Uh, let's read this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. Galatians, Philippians, whatever, whatever right? Um, no, it, it is Galatians. So, so when you jump in into the end of the book, um, we need context. Like, you can't just say, hey, I read a passage, and then just study that passage. We need to know well, what led up to this argument, because the author who wrote this, he wrote it with a purpose, and he's explaining something. He's arguing something. So, for us, we need to study what is Galatians leading up to chapter 4. So in Galatians chapter 1, Paul does this short introduction of himself and goes straight to the issue at hand. And the issue at hand is that people have been believing false things about the gospel. Paul gives his credentials in the midst of that, that he's called by God and he's accepted by the apostles and that he has authority to speak on this topic of the gospel. So then you get to chapter 3 and Paul calls out these false teachers. And here's what they were teaching. They were teaching, uh, they were teaching that Jesus has done a great thing for you on the cross, but if you want to make sure that God really loves you and approves of you and, and accepts you, then you need to add some things of your own. You need to contribute. Like, yeah, Jesus did his part, but now you need to do your part. And you need to practice, for their context, you need to practice Jewish rituals and traditions like circumcision. 
Uh, and so the message changed from Jesus paid it all to Jesus paid it, but now you need to do some things, right? And, and, and so these false teachers misunderstood the cross, and uh, throughout the letter, Paul is making sure that the Galatian people connect the cross to the righteousness by faith alone. And so that's what, if you're reading through the Galatians, that is what Paul is trying to communicate, is to say, look, the, cro- the cross is, is enough. You don't add something to the cross. You don't, you don't look at the cross and you say, yeah, he did his part. Like, let me, let me do my part. No, he did his part, and that is it. And so in the, and this is the argument. So that's the opposition that's, that Paul is writing against. And then in this argument, because he's speaking uh, against this opposition, we get this clear picture of the gospel. And so in verse 3 of our chapter 4, he says this, Paul says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So we're coming into this, this segment of this text where Paul is explaining that through Jesus we are heirs, of the kingdom of God. And Paul says that before we were children of God, the heirs through Jesus, we were like children enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what does that mean, right? Like, what is Paul talking about? So often, often this word in ancient Greek referred, the elementary principles, referred to the elements of the material and visible world, like things such uh, as fire and water and air, and earth. And so these elements would often be elevated to a level of a God who can control your life. And so, for example, if you have a son and he got sick, you would do everything naturally, right? You wouldn't do everything in your power to get your son better. And so maybe you would take him to the top of the mountain where the air is dry. So you take him to the top of the mountain and see, did that help? If that didn't help, then you keep, keep working on different aspects trying to get him better. And if your son is still getting worse, you would keep trying to appease the God that you think you have offended, uh, either through promises or sacrifices. And if it got really bad, like if it got really bad, you might even donate a lot of money to build a temple. Like you would be like, okay, like, I need to do something really huge, so let's donate all our savings and life, uh, every money that we have towards this. Other times, people will dance and cut themselves like the prophet of Baal did, um, prophets of Baal did in their face-off with Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. And so, as I'm describing this, you're thinking, like, what's an example? That would be a good example, is them dancing around the altar thinking that that is a real God. They have elevated to a a God standard, right? And so the whole time you're doing these things, it's for one reason. And that reason is you want to get your son better. You want your kid to live, right? And so you want, you want the God you offended to stop pouring his wrath on your son. So, so, so then you're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And people were enslaved to this false worship of these elements, working so hard to get what they wanted from things that ultimately had no power to help. But they thought they would, right? So they kept 
going to them over and over and over and over. And their lives was, were, were controlled by these false worship. So now, what does that look like for us today? What does that look like for us today? The game has changed. The game has changed, but the roots are the same. We still seek to find fulfillment in life through something. In other words, we are looking for something to satisfy us or to solve whatever is wrong. And, and the big umbrella term for this is idolatry. It's the term idolatry. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, God says this about the elders of Israel, son of men, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? So God, God is identify, uh, God identifies the actual location of the idol. It's in their heart. So our hearts are the true location of all the idolatry or all of these idols. And, and the way it works out is we take these good things, we take good things and try to make them ultimate things out of them and to bring us satisfaction and meaning to life, like a successful career or love or material possessions or family. And, and, and actually it could be anything. It can be anything, any of your hobbies or any of your interests, anything that you take, and then you say, oh, I want this to bring me significance. And you elevate it above God. And it's usually, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you can take something bad also and elevate it, but usually it's actually good things that we do this to. And when we want these good things to bring us security or significance or even safety and fulfillment, we're now worshiping the thing and not the God who gives us good things. We take these things and we move them, we elevate them to bring meaning and satisfaction to life. And just like in Paul's time, where the mountain air would not heal their son, so today overworking doesn't bring you security or safety or fulfillment. Love doesn't ultimately make you feel complete. If you get a brand new car with a huge bow this Christmas, like every commercial shows, it'll make you feel better for a few hours. But then you'll go back to feeling the same way you felt before you got that car. The car will not bring you significance. Like, because that's not the role of the car. The role of the car is to take you from point A to point B, but we want the car to satisfy us, to give us meaning, to give us security. And so maybe none of us are getting a car. I, I don't know if somebody is getting a car. If you're getting a car, awesome. But most of us are probably not getting a car this Christmas, no matter how much the commercials tell us we should. And so, but what is it that has crept has creeped into our hearts? Like, what are some good things in your life that you are elevating to a place that you should not be, that should not be elevated to? Because it, it doesn't have to be something as a car or a brand new car. It could be something good, simple. Maybe it's even this season, this Christmas season. You elevated Christmas season to a place where it's supposed to give you this new feeling of butterflies about Jesus, and it has not. And so you're kind of feeling disappointed. What is it? 
you know your heart well. So what is it have you, that you have elevated to a place that should not be elevated? Because as soon as we do that, we start to worship the elementary principles. And, or, as Paul says, we're enslaved to elementary principles. And if we, have placed our, if we haven't placed our faith and hope in Jesus, then that is our nature. And we need to re- be reminded in the midst of this, we need to be reminded of a purchase that the cross accomplished, the transaction. That's exactly where Paul goes from this, right? Uh, that's where he goes in verse 4 of our passage. He says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, what the, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So at the right time, at the right time, God sent his son. It's not up to humans when God was going to send his son. It was all up to God in his perfect timing. God is in charge. In his timing, he sends his son. Jesus, who was with God and is God, was born of a woman. Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. And then Paul says, born under the law. Born under the law, a perfect God, born in human flesh, joins the enslaved world. For what purpose? He, become, he became human, and not just a human, but a, a human who is under the law. Why? The simple answer is to redeem us, to purchase us out of something. This is similar to what we talked about in John chapter 1, when John says, In Christ's fullness, we receive grace instead of grace, for the law was given through Moses. If you remember that from a few weeks ago. And in John 1, we saw that the law, the, the, uh, when, when he refers to gra- you receive grace instead of r- grace, that the law was seen as grace because it provided a way to God. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to know God, follow the law. The law was, was a means of grace as it would point you to God. It set the standard, and that standard was good, but the reality of the law is that we could never meet that standard. In fact, we couldn't meet the standard so much that we would need someone to meet that standard for us. So all the law could do is reveal our need for salvation and point us towards the Savior. And Jesus is that Savior who's able to redeem us, to purchase purchase us from what the law required. He was born under the law. And he met every standard of that law perfectly. He perfectly fulfills the law's demands. Jesus met the standard on on our behalf. That's why Paul says in Galatians, Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. He's talking to us, right? We couldn't redeem ourselves by following the law perfectly, but Jesus did. He understands us because he was here. He understands what we're going through because he has gone through this. He took the sins of the world. He, he became the curse for you and me. He took the curse that we deserve, and he experienced the final penalty, the penalty of sin. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, verse 12, it explains this, this fairly well. It says, He talking about Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood or goats, of uh, blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing the internal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So Jesus purchased us with his blood. He entered to the holy place that was a place that the high priest would go and sprinkle the blood of the goats and calves on behalf of the people to purify them from their sins. And Jesus went to the cross and sprinkled his blood to purify us. And he was able to do this because he was without blemish. He was without sin. And his blood purified us. His blood purchased us from all the things that enslave enslave us. And as one theologian said, dealing with this passage, said, had Jesus not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. Had Jesus not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed the unrighteous. Had Jesus not been God's son, he could not, could not have redeemed us from God or made us sons and children of God. So Jesus came in human form under the law he purchased us from the things that enslaved us into what? Into what? Adoption. Adoption. Sonship. Family. The gospel is not, not, not that Jesus, Jesus makes us right. That, that is part of the gospel story, but that's not the full story of the gospel. Like if we just stop there, that hey, Jesus came to earth and he made us right period, we have missed a very big aspect of the gospel. He, he came us, he, he came in human form, and he purchased us from the things that enslaved us, and then he adopted us. He adopted us. He purchased us and adopted us, and, and that is the highest privilege of the cross. And the, this Christmas story is that Jesus joins this broken world to fix this brokenness with his life and adopt us into his family. God looks at us and delights in us. Not because of us. Right? We, we just walked through what that purchase was. What it, was. it was Jesus. He, he delights in us, not because of us, but because of his son, Jesus, who purchased us and adopted us into his family. The cross nullifies our sin, and the cross brings us into this new family. And again, Again, we hear this a lot, right? Like you, you come to a service and you hear uh, either the gospel aspect of it that you've been purchased or maybe even you hear about the adoption aspect of it. And, and, and sometimes when you hear things over and over, it just hits your heart and doesn't sink in. It hits your heart, you're like, yeah, we've been adopted. Like, whoop do doo we've been adopted. But listen to this, adoption is this intimate word. It has closeness, affection, generosity written all over it. It means God intimately cares for me. It's not that he simply had pity on me. He didn't simply just go, okay, sure, I'll purchase. I'll, I'll, I'll just take away. No, like he cares deeply. He cares about me as an individual. He cares about me as a child. He looks at me the way I look at my kids, Isaiah, Simon, and Milana, except even more lovingly. 
And again, like I, I know that we hear this, this idea of adoption, and, and if we haven't been in an adoption process, or if we haven't experienced this fully for our lives, then, then it's just kind of like, oh yeah, cool, that, that's awesome. And so I was thinking throughout the week, how can I bring this to a reality? How can, can this idea of adoption, uh, this reality of adoption, would sink in into our hearts? And, 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 the, and the only way I could is through a story, and a story that will bring a fresh light into the conversation. Uh, maybe uh, tr- just to wake us up to the idea of adoption. So it's, it's a story by Russ Moore in his book, Adopted for Life. So he writes the story about when he and his wife uh, adopted two kids from Russia. Right? You may have even heard this story, but try to hear it for the first time. Try to hear this, this in a fresh way. So Russ and his wife arrived in this Russian orphanage. They walk into the room where the kids laid, and immediately both of them almost vomited from the smell. These kids laid in their own waste for hours. The paperwork it takes a while. If you've been through adoption, you know that the paperwork is, is a nightmare. And so it takes a while for you to fill out the paperwork. You go back and forth through from the orphanage to the paperwork and all this stuff that goes on with it. And each time they would leave their kids in that environment full of smell and not even sure if their diaper will be changed or not. And it was hard. It was very hard for them to see this. But then he writes as he tells the stories that the, the, the hardest thing happened was when they were leaving. The final day when they got, got to bring these kids home with them was the hardest thing he has ever seen or the hardest thing he had experienced. So they dressed these kids in new clothes. They gave them new, new clothes for the first time, dressed them well, and they walked outside into a bright sun bright sun, experiencing the joy of going, man, we just took them out of that darkness into this light. But as soon as they came into the light, the boys has never, have never seen the sun. And so they, they were terrified of the sun. They start to shake and reach back to the orphanage in a, and now as they walk in a distance. Because that's all these two little guys knew. All they knew was this orphanage. And so for these two little Russian kids who were adopted, they didn't know what that meant. They didn't understand that this is their new dad and mom. All they knew was that room that smelled horrible. So these little two, two little Russian guys, they knew only about the orphanage. And sometimes that's what our lives look like. That's what our lives look like. We get purchased from slavery and adopted into God's family. But like these two little guys, we often reach back into the old ways. We don't really know what adoption looks like, or we don't really know what being loved unconditionally really means. But that is exactly why Jesus came to earth. By his blood, he purchased us, and because of Jesus, we belong And as Paul continues, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into their hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I assume that these two little Russian dudes would, would, 
would eventually refer to their parents as mom and dad. And Paul is saying that the Spirit of God, that, that the Spirit of God is in our hearts, will remind us that we're part of God's family, and, and we get to call our Father now, Abba, Father. This means He's for us. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And we get to call Him Father, Abba. And Abba is this term of, of endearment, right? It's, a, it's this term that just that means intimacy there. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor and theologian who described this word like this. He says, it's a loud cry expressing deep emotion so that it implies a real knowledge of God. God is not some distant deity. No, he's not. We get to cry out, Abba, because we're no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. And isn't this a beautiful reminder in the midst of familiar, crazy season? Isn't this a beautiful reminder that our hearts need to hear that we are adopted? Yes, we're purchased out of slavery, but we're purchased into a family. So in the midst of this crazy season, Lean into this kind of reminder. Lean in into this reminding that you are adopted. Lean into the reality that you're no longer a slave, but a son and daughter of God. And I also have to say this. When you fail and you lean into idolatry or sinfulness to satisfy you, because you will, this is, this is another reality that happens. And the reason we even need this, re, this reminder is that, that, that our hearts because our hearts are an idol factory. Our hearts will long for good things to satisfy us. And so when, when you fail, remember that this is the reason that Jesus came. He came to purchase you out of that slavery and adopt you to his family. So may we as a church remember that we are redeemed. May we as a church remember that we are children of God. May we, as a church, remember that we are purchased by the blood of Christ into his family. Let me pray for us.